Chapter 46 of The Pharaoh and the Priest. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines. The Pharaoh and the Priest by Boleslaw Cruz. Translated by Jeremiah Curtin. Chapter 46. At night the sentries gave notice that a throng of Libyans imploring mercy had entered the valley. Indeed, the light of their fires was visible on the desert. At sunrise the trumpets were sounded, and all the Egyptian forces were drawn up under arms on the widest part of the valley. According to command of the prince, who wished to increase the fright of the Libyans, the carriers were arranged between the ranks of the army, and men on asses were disposed among the cavalry. So it happened that the Egyptians seemed as numerous as sands in the desert, and the Libyans were as timid as doves over which a falcon is soaring. At nine in the morning his gilded war-chariot stood before the tent of the viceroy. The horses bearing ostrich plumes reared so that two men had to hold each of them. Rameses came out of his tent, took his place in the chariot, and seized the reins himself, while the place of the charioteer was occupied by the priest Pentuer, who held now the position of counsellor. One of the commanders carried a large green parasol over the prince. Behind, and on both sides of the chariot, marched Greek officers in gilded armor. At a certain distance, behind the prince's retinue, came a small division of the guard. In the midst of it, Tehenna, son of the Libyan chief Musawasa. A few hundred paces from the Egyptians, at the entrance of the ravine, stood the gloomy crowd of Libyans, imploring the conqueror's favor. When Rameses came with his suite to the eminence where he was to receive the envoys of the enemy, the army raised such a shout in his honor that the cunning Musawasa was still more mortified and whispered to the Libyan elders, I say to you, that is the cry of an army which loves its commander. Then one of the most restless of the Libyan chiefs, a great robber, said to Musawasa, Dost thou not think that in a moment like this we should be wiser to trust to the swiftness of our horses than to the kindness of the pharaoh's son? He must be a raging lion, which tears the skin even when stroking it, while we are like lambs snatched away from our mothers. Do as may please thee, replied Musawasa, thou hast the whole desert before thee. But the people sent me to redeem their faults, and above all, I have a son, Tehenna, on whom the prince will pour out his wrath, unless I win favor. To the crowd of Libyans galloped up two Asiatic horsemen, who declared that their lord was waiting for submission. Musawasa sighed bitterly and went toward the height on which the conqueror had halted. Never before had he made such a painful journey. Coarse linen used by penitents covered his back imperfectly. On his head, sprinkled with ashes, the heat of the sun was burning. Sharp pebbles cut his naked feet, and his heart was crushed by his own sorrow and that of his people. He had advanced barely a few hundred paces, but was forced to halt a couple of times to rest and recover. He looked backward frequently to be sure that the naked slaves carrying gifts to the prince were not stealing gold chains, or, what was worse, stealing jewels. For Musawasa, knowing life, knew that man is glad to make use of his neighbor's misfortune. I thank the gods, said the cunning barbarian, comforting himself in mishap that the lot has come to me of humbling myself to a prince who may put on the pharaoh's cap any moment. The rulers of Egypt are magnanimous, especially in time of triumph. 
If I succeed then in moving my lord, he will strengthen my position in Libya, and permit me to collect a multitude of taxes. It is a real miracle that the heir to the throne himself sees Tehenna, and not only will he not do him wrong, but he will cover him with dignities. Thus he thought, and looked behind continually, for a slave, though naked, may conceal a stolen jewel in his mouth, and even swallow it. At thirty steps from the chariot of the heir, Musawasa and those who were with him, the foremost of the Libyans, fell upon their faces, and lay on the sand till command to rise was given them through the prince's adjutant. When they had approached a few steps, they fell again. Later they fell a third time, and rose only at command of Ramesses. During this interval, Pentuer, standing at the prince's chariot, whispered to his lord, Let thy countenance show neither harshness nor delight. Be calm, like the god Amon, who despises his enemies, and delights in no common triumphs. At last the penitent Libyans stood before the face of the prince, who looked at them as a fierce hippopotamus at ducklings which have no place to hide before his mightiness. "'Art thou he?' asked Ramesses suddenly. "'Art thou that Musawasa, the wise Libyan leader?' "'I am thy servant,' answered Musawasa, and he threw himself on the ground again. When they ordered him to rise, the prince said, how couldst thou commit such a grievous sin and raise thy hand against the kingdom of the gods has thy former wisdom deserted thee lord answered the wily libyan sorrow disturbed the reason of the disbanded warriors of his holiness so they ran to their own destruction drawing me and mine after them and the gods alone know how long this dreadful war might have lasted if at the head of the army of the ever-living pharaoh Amon himself had not appeared in thy semblance. Thou didst fall on us like a storm-wind of the desert, when thou wert not expected, where thou wert not expected, and as a bull breaks a reed, so didst thou crush thy blinded opponent. All people then understood that even the terrible regiments of Libya had value only while thy hand sent them forward. Thou speakest wisely, Musawasa, said the viceroy, and thou hast done still better to meet thus the army of the divine pharaoh, instead of waiting till it came to thee. But I should be glad to know how sincere thy obedience is. Let thy countenance be radiant, great potentate of Egypt, answered Musawasa. We come to thee as subjects. May thy name be great in Libya. Be thou our son, as thou art the son of nine nations. Only command thy subordinates to be just to us, the conquered people who are joined to thy power. Let thy officials govern us justly and with conscience, and not according to their own evil wishes, reporting falsely concerning our people, and rousing thy disfavor against us and our children. Command them, O viceroy of the victorious pharaoh, to govern according to thy will, sparing our freedom, our property, our language, and the customs of our ancestors and fathers. Let thy laws be equal for all subjects. Let not thy officials favor some too much, and be too harsh toward others. Let their sentences be of the same kind for all. Let them collect the tribute predestined for thy needs, and for thy use. But let them not take secretly other tributes which never go into thy treasury, and enrich only thy servants, and the servants of those servants. Command them to govern without injustice to us and our children, 
for thou art to us a deity and a ruler forever imitate the sun which sends its light to all and gives life and strength to them we the libyan subjects implore thy favor and fall on our faces before thee o heir of the great and mighty pharaoh so spoke the crafty libyan prince musawasa and after he had finished speaking he prostrated himself again but when the pharaoh's heir heard these wise words his eyes glittered and his nostrils dilated like those of a young stallion which after good feeding runs to a field where mares are at pasture rise musawasa and listen to what i tell thee thy fate and that of thy people depend not on me but on that gracious lord who towers above us all as the sky above the earth i advise thee then to go and to take libyan elders hence to memphis and falling on thy face before the leader and the god in this world to repeat the humble prayer which i have heard here from thee i know not what the effect of thy prayer will be but since the gods never turn from him who implores and is repentant i have a feeling that thou wilt not meet a bad reception and now show me the gifts intended for his holiness so that i may judge whether they will move the heart of the all-powerful pharaoh at this moment mentezufis gave a sign to pentuer who was standing on the prince's chariot when pentuer descended and approached the holy man with honor mentezufis whispered i fear lest the triumph may rise to the head of our young lord overmuch dost thou not think it would be wise to interrupt the solemnity in some way on the contrary answered pentuer do not interrupt the solemnity and i guarantee that he will not have a joyous face thou wilt perform a miracle if i succeed i shall merely show him that in this world great delight is attended by deep suffering do as thou wishest said mentezufis for the gods have given thee wisdom worthy a member of the high council trumpets and drums were heard and the triumphal review began at the head of it went naked slaves bearing gifts rich libyans guarded these bondmen who carried gold and silver divinities boxes filled with perfumes enameled vessels stuffs furniture finally gold dishes dotted with rubies sapphires and emeralds the slaves who bore these had shaven heads and were gagged lest some of them might steal a costly jewel rameses rested both hands on the edge of the chariot and looked from the height of the hill at the libyans and at his own men as a golden-headed eagle looks down on many-colored partridges pride filled the prince from foot to head and all present felt that it was impossible to have more power than was possessed by that victorious commander but in one instant the prince's eyes lost their brightness and on his face the bitterest surprise was depicted pentuer was standing near him bend thy ear lord whispered he since thou hast left Pibast, wondrous changes have taken place there thy phoenician woman Ma, has fled with lykon with lykon repeated the prince move not erpater and show not to thousands that thou feelest sorrow in the day of thy triumph now there passed below the prince an endless line of libyans with fruit and bread in baskets as well as wine and olive oil in ruby pitchers for the army at sight of this a murmur of delight was spreading among the warriors but rameses occupied with pentuer's story took no note of what was passing the gods said the prophet in a whisper have punished the traitorous kama 
"'Is she caught?' inquired the prince. "'She is caught, but they have sent her to the eastern colony, because leprosy attacked her.' "'O oh, gods!' whispered Rameses. "'But may it not threaten me?' "'Be calm, lord. If it had infected thee, thou wouldst be leprous this moment.' The prince felt a chill in every member. "'How easy for the gods to thrust a man down from the highest summits to the depths of the lowest misery!' "'And Lycon?' "'He is a great criminal,' said Pentuer, "'a criminal of such kind that the earth has given few such. "'I know him. He is as like me as a reflection of me in a mirror,' replied Rameses. "'Now came a crowd of Libyans leading strange animals. "'At the head of these was a one-humped camel with white hair, "'one of the first which they had caught in the desert. "'Next, two rhinoceroses, a herd of horses, and a tame lion caged then a multitude of cages holding birds of various colors, monkeys, and small dogs intended for court ladies. Behind them were driven great herds of cattle and flocks of sheep as food for the pharaoh's army. The prince cast an eye on the moving menagerie and asked the priest, But is Lycon caught? I will tell thee now the worst news, unhappy lord, whispered Pentuer, but remember that the enemies of Egypt must not notice grief in thee. The air moved. Thy second woman, Sarah the Jewess, has she run away too? She died in prison. Oh, gods, who dared imprison her? She confessed that she killed thy son. What? A great cry was heard at the prince's feet. The Libyan prisoners captured in battle were marching past, and at the head of them the sorrowful Tehenna. Rameses had at that moment a heart so full of pain that he nodded to Tehenna and said, Stand near thy father, Musawasa, so that he may touch thee and see thee living. At these words all the Libyans and the whole army gave forth a mighty shout, but the prince did not hear it. Is my son dead? asked he of the priest. Sarah accused herself of child murder. Did madness fall on her? The vile Lycon slew thy son. Oh, gods, give me strength, groaned Rameses. Restrain thyself, lord, as becomes a victorious leader. Is it possible to conquer such pain? Oh, gods, without pity! Lycon slew thy son. Sarah accused herself to save thee, foreseeing the murderer in the night. She mistook him for thee. And I thrust her out of my house, and I made her a servant of the Phoenician now appeared egyptian warriors bearing baskets filled with hands which had been cut from the fallen libyans at the sight of this rameses hid his face and wept bitterly the generals surrounded the chariot at once and gave their lord consolation the holy mentezufus made a proposition which was received immediately that thenceforth the egyptian army would not cut off the hands of enemies who had fallen in battle with this unforeseen incident ended the first triumph of the heir to the throne of Egypt, but the tears which he shed over the severed hands attached the Libyans to him more than the victorious battle. No one wondered then that around the fires Libyan and Egyptian warriors sat in concord, sharing bread, and drinking wine from the same goblet. Instead of wars, which were to last for years, there was a deep feeling of peace and confidence. Rameses gave command that Musawasa, Tehenna, and the foremost Libyans should go to Memphis straightway, and he gave them an escort not so much to watch them as to safeguard their persons and the treasures which they were taking. 
The prince withdrew to a tent then, and did not appear again until a number of hours had passed. He was like a man to whom pain is the dearest companion. He did not receive even Tutmosis. Toward evening a deputation of Greeks appeared under the leadership of Kalapos. When the heir asked what their wish was, Kalapos answered, We have come, lord, to implore that the body of our leader, thy servant Patroclus, should not be given to Egyptian priests, but be burned in accord with Greek usage. The prince was astonished. Is it known to you, asked he, that the priests wish to make of the remains of Patroclus a mummy of the first order, and to put it near the graves of the pharaohs? Can honor greater than this meet a man anywhere? The Greeks hesitated. At last Kalipos took courage and answered, Our lord, permit us to open our hearts to thee. We know well that the making of a mummy is of more profit to a man than to burn him, for the soul of a burned man is transferred to eternal regions immediately. The soul of a mummied man may live during thousands of years on this earth and enjoy its beauties. But the Egyptian priests, O chief, let us not offend thy ears, hated Patroclus. Who will assure us, then, that these priests, in making him a mummy, are not detaining him on earth, so as to subject him to tortures? And what would our worth be if we who suspect revenge did not protect from it the soul of our compatriot and leader? Great was the prince's astonishment. Do, said he, as ye think proper, but if they will not give us the body? Prepare the funeral pyre. I will attend to the rest of the ceremony. The Greeks left the tent. The prince sent for Mentezufus. End of chapter 46 Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah